atonement. It means to purge, to cleanse, to wipe, to purify, to pacify, to cover, to reconcile. And it's something that we all need. You know, there is something inside of us, if we're honest, that causes us to tend to drift away from God. There's something inside of us that tends to want to do things our way and to have our own idea of what's right and wrong, our own idea of what is justice, our own idea of what we should do and what others should do. But as we look in the news and we look at the world around us and we see so many different opinions and people following so many different things, we see that it still leaves us wanting more. It still leaves us feeling broken and empty. And that thing that's within us that causes us to look for answers everywhere but in our creator God is called a sin nature. And the Bible talks about it, it identifies it. And God in his love, even though he created us and through things that we have done, we have cultivated this sin nature within us, he still loves us. And he's provided a way that we can be forgiven, that we can start new and fresh. And the things that we've done that has caused pain in our own lives or in the lives of others can be redeemed, doesn't take away what happened, but he can bring new life for us and those around us, and especially in our relationship with God. At the end of this message today, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you're at that point in your life and you just want to cry out to God, to ask for his forgiveness and grace. You'll have an opportunity to do that before you walk out these doors today. It's not going to be drawn out. It's not going to be long. But I just want you to know that you have the opportunity today to experience God's amazing grace that we've sang about this morning. And that same God back then that we're going to be talking about and some of the things that he instituted a long time ago for the nation of Israel was an object lesson for all of us as human beings, for all nations, all people, of what he offers to all of us through our high priest, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. Worship God acceptably. Again, we live in a culture, a society, in a world that just wants to worship God. How do we want to worship God? We live in a free country, right? This is America. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. Why can't I just worship God however I want to? Well, because God is holy and you are not. God is all righteous and you are not. God is all pure and you are not. God is all knowing and you are not. And so rather than us having the audacity to think that we can just approach this holy and righteous God who created us and loves us, and we can just barge into his presence at any time in whatever way we want, we don't have to do anything to come into his presence, is really just as foolish as thinking that we could approach the sun in our solar system without any kind of protection. I mean, 
Anybody want to try that? Even, even in our most modern technology spacecraft that we have, we start getting near the sun and our solar system and we are going to be instantly consumed and obliterated because of the power of the heat and the radiation of the S-U-N, the sun. And we have a God who created that, who's more powerful than that who created everything from the greatest expanse in this universe that our minds can comprehend and the galaxies and everything that they're still learning from the the new telescope that they put up there in outer space down to the minute microscopic levels that we're still learning about, subatomic particles. God created all of this. And we think that we could just go to him in whatever way we want. Now, don't misunderstand me. God does love us. And he wants us to come to him. But because he's holy and we are not, and because he's righteous and perfect and we are not, he's provided a way for us to come into his presence. And this is what he teaches us from Genesis through the Old Testament into New Testament times to this very day. God does love you. I want to make that clear. And he wants you to come to him. But because he loves you, he wants us to understand that we can't just come without something happening to make us able to stand in his holy presence. And that thing is atonement. We're gonna talk about it today. Again, the object lesson that God gave a long time ago leading up to, to Christ. So that passage says, worship God acceptably with reverence. So there's a clue. Revere God, humble yourself before him, respect him. Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And I've said this for a long time, and I know I'm getting to be an old guy. But it's funny how we, we throw that word awesome around, you know. You had a good day. Awesome, really. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, I had dinner last night. It was really good. It was awesome, really. We don't understand what true awesome means. Awe means awestruck. You got no word. Your jaws dropped. You're undone. You're like, oh my goodness. I got nothing to say. That's awe. And that is God. And that's how we should approach worshiping God with reverence and awe. And then it says this in Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. That's why I use the analogy of the sun in our solar system. God often used fire to help us understand about his pure nature, his power, his might. When he first appeared to Moses in the desert, it was in what form? A fire in a sagebrush that wasn't getting consumed, a miracle. He wanted Moses to get the idea. And he told Moses, take off your sandals, you're approaching me, this is holy ground, because wherever God is, It becomes holy. If it's not, it becomes holy. It gets consumed. So we need to understand this. Fire represents power, purification, and the presence of God. So God was teaching Adam and Eve this, uh, this idea of atonement, clear back in Genesis, though they didn't fully comprehend it. But when Adam and Eve mistrusted God, they stopped trusting in his goodness. The Bible doesn't spell it out this way, but this is what is implied. God was fully, is fully good, fully loving. He created them. They were in this perfect relationship. No sin existed. 
They were innocent before God. They had this close relationship. And he gave them a choice. Again, we refer to it as there was the tree of life and then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they decided to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you might say, well, what? What is so wrong about eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Did God not want them to have knowledge? Well, that was kind of their suspicion. They began to doubt God's goodness, and they began to doubt that being in relationship with God wasn't enough because he is all good and he's all-knowing. They had everything they need in their relationship with God, but they mistrusted that goodness, and they wanted to go their own way, and God purposely gave them a choice because he wanted them to see that he was giving them a free will. He wasn't creating them like robots or puppets. Yes, God, we love you. We have no choice, God, so we love you. God doesn't want us to be in relationship like that. And I think any of us that have been in healthy relationships understand that forcing and manipulating people into a relationship isn't good. And what really do you get out of it? Because you think the only reason they love me is because I'm forcing them to love me. And they don't really love me if I'm forcing them. So God in his wisdom gave us a choice. And we chose to not trust God's goodness and to think that somehow we could get knowledge outside of that because God wasn't enough. And people are still making that choice today. They hear the message of the gospel. They hear the message about God. They don't want to trust his goodness. They want to go their own way, make their own choice. And so when they mistrusted God's goodness and they disobeyed him and they ate of the tree, the one rule, there was not 10 commandments, there was just one, don't eat of that tree over there. Have a great time, enjoy everything. We couldn't even do that. So they made that choice and then they realized something was off when they did that. They realized something had happened in their relationship with God and they felt guilt and so they tried to cover their feelings of guilt and inadequacy by providing their own covering with what they had available. And God in his wisdom knew that wouldn't be enough. And so God provided a covering for them. And in fact, we read about this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. By the way, I do have a lot of these scriptures on the online notes. If you go to, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can download it. If you already have it, just go there, look for events, find Porterfield, and all the sermon notes are there. Pastor Eric does that. Uh, we've done that for some time now. We want you to have this information. And so I may not go over all the scriptures that are there today in our time together, but they're there for you to look at. But anyway, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He, he could have used anything to clothe them. He chose to take animals who were already in, in existence. It doesn't say what the animals were, but the implication there is they had to be slain. They had to be killed. Blood had to be shed. And then he took the garments of those animals and used that to cover Adam and Eve. He could have clothed them with anything. Why did God do this? I truly believe that he was teaching them and us today. He's teaching us. You got to remember, God is eternal. So he teaches us in the short term, but he also teaches us in the long term. And he wanted us to see down through the ages, I'm teaching you something about myself that I'm ultimately going to provide myself. I'm going to provide a covering for you that you can enter into my presence and you can feel forgiven and we can have a relationship. The other reason that I believe that he took the skins of animals is because he had warned Adam and Eve that on the day they ate of that tree, they would bring death into the world. It didn't mean that everybody was going to die all of a sudden. 
but it would begin that process of death. So Adam and Eve had never seen death, even after they ate and even after they felt like something was off with God. They had never seen death, and so God wanted to show them immediately. Again, the Scriptures doesn't say this, but I believe it's implied. This is what, this is the end result of when you don't trust my, me and my goodness and my way, it results in death. A ceasing of, of, of being, a separation. And so those animals were slain and they saw what death looks like and then he used that to cover them. He was teaching them about a substitutionary sacrifice that he later was going to institute. So after this time, he spoke to Moses, and he began this journey again of teaching them about this process of atonement and a substitutionary sacrifice and how our rebellion against God, our not trusting God, results in a breaking of fellowship not only with God but with each other. And so he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And we know the first part of the commandments that he gave of those ten deal with our relationship with God. And then The last part of those Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with each other. And God was teaching them, these are the ways that if you want to live, you you will enjoy life to the fullest if you follow these laws. But he also wanted them to understand, because of that sin nature within us, we're all guilty of breaking those laws. And God also wanted them to understand that though they were breaking those laws... And it was causing an offense to God and offense to each other. God was going to provide a way of forgiveness and atonement because along with that sacrifice, or along with the laws that he gave them, he instituted a sacrificial system, a specific way that he was teaching them that they could approach him, be forgiven. And it was culminated on what was referred to as the day, the day of atonement. So in Leviticus chapter 16, that's what we're going to spend all of our time in. I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Um, In verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Aaron had two sons, and they didn't respect God's way of entering into the tabernacle to worship him. They used some unauthorized fire. I won't get into all that. And God's like, I'm not having this. I'm trying to teach you all something. And, And they died. And so now God is saying, I want you all to really understand this concept that I'm pure, you're not, I'm holy, you're not, and I love you, but you need to come to me in a way that I am providing. So in verse 2, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. What in the world is he talking about? Real quick, I've got some slides. I'm going to show you some pictures so that you can see some of what is referred to here in Leviticus 16. So go ahead and put the first picture up. This is a little diagram I put together uh, for you. It's like an overhead view of the area where the tabernacle was. The tabernacle or the tent of meeting was the place where God's presence would dwell with the nation of Israel. He told them he would guide them. By the way, he guided them during the day in the form of a column of cloud or a pillar of cloud. And at night, that pillar or that column of cloud became a column of what? Hey, some of you have read the Bible. A column of fire. 
so that they could see him at night in the darkness. They could follow him during the day in the pillar of cloud. Again, God is revealing and he's teaching things about his nature in this. So anyway, the overhead view. So the place where he would dwell among his people, they all camped around this tabernacle. But there was three main areas. There was a courtyard, and then in the tabernacle itself, there was the first section, which was the holy place. And then there was the back section, which was the most holy place, or referred to as the holy of holies. In that tent, in that tabernacle, were articles that, um, again, represented not only God and his spirit, but also was a foreshadowing of, of Christ. There was a lamp. Go ahead and go to the next picture. So here's an artist's rendition of uh, that tabernacle. And uh, you can see a cutaway view where you can kind of see inside the tent with a holy place and in the back part with a holy of holies in the Ark of the Covenant. Go to the next picture. We've got to move through these quick. This is actually a picture of the replica in Israel that was made uh, according to the biblical measurements of what the cubits are. And uh, so these are pictures of that. So you can see how there's the courtyard. Then there's the bronze altar of sacrifice there to the left. There's uh, a, a, a wash basin that's referred to as a laver, laver, however you want to pronounce that. And then you went into the actual uh, tabernacle or tent with the holy place. Next picture. So here again is a different view. This is the bronze altar. It had a grate in it where the sacrifices were put and then they uh, were burned uh, you see those projections coming off the corners of the altar. That was referred to as the horns of the altar. So when you read where he talks about the priest would put, apply blood to the horns of the altar, that's what it's talking about. Okay, go to the next picture. There's the wash basin where the priest had to come to. They had to ceremonially wash their hands, their feet. Again, symbolic showing that we need to be clean when we come before a clean and holy God. So uh, that was where they did that. And then you'd go through the, the curtain into the holy place. Next picture. And inside was the lampstand. Now, I think that the actual articles in the tabernacle were much more beautiful than this. I think the people in Israel that made these items and made this replica didn't want to have any, like, inkling, hey, we're not trying to copy what the real tabernacle was like, but they wanted to give us an idea. But it was of hammered gold. And so in the lampstand, those tops of the lampstand there would contain oil, and oil was always to be kept, and light was always to be burning in that lampstand. And by the way, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so again, we see representation here of Christ. Go to the next picture. Table of showbread. Again, God wanting to say, I want you to dwell with me. I want you to come into my house. I want to invite you in. I want to share a meal with you. I want to fellowship with you. This was the table of showbread. It had uh, the 12 loaves that you see there, and each loaf represented one of the tribes of Israel. So again, all of this had meaning, but we're not going to go into a lot of that today. Okay, next picture. And then there was an altar of incense that was right before you went into the Holy of Holies, the, the veil, the curtain that led you into the Holy of Holies. And I'll be talking a little bit more about this on Palm Sunday. But so incense, special incense was made to only be used here, nowhere else. It was only to be used in the temple before God. And that incense was burnt and smoke would come up from that and it would fill the, the holy place and even in the Holy of Holies again, just to kind of provide protection uh, and, and a surrounding as they would go enter into the place where God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And by the way, in the scriptures, not only Old Testament, but New Testament, 
where we see prayer referred to as incense. So there's a representation here of praying and approaching God with prayer and humility. Okay, next picture. Then when you went through the, the veil into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. There was a lid on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark just simply means a box. It wasn't talking about Noah's Ark. It was just the Ark was a box. It was a box where the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments were placed, the manna that God provided for the nation of Israel as they went on their journey, a jar of that was in there. And then also, eventually, uh, a, a rod uh, that had almond blossoms that blossomed on Aaron's rod, showing that God had chosen him as the high priest and Moses as their leaders. Anyway, that was inside, and it was, it, it was put in that box. And then the lid that was placed on it was called the atonement cover or the mercy seat. And that's really significant because that is the place where God said, my presence will dwell among my people. But you need to understand that I'm holy and you're not. And if you're going to come into my presence, there's a process and a way that you come in that I want you to be with me. All right, next picture. Again, there's just helping you to get the big view again. And now let's go on to the next verse. So try to keep those things in mind as we go through this. So this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram, which is a male lamb at least one year old, for a burnt offering, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. Pastor Eric has been talking about that the last couple of Sundays, about the symbolism of the high priest and the garments that they wore. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. So that, again, was outside the tent there at the, at the labor. From the Israelite community, verse 5, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He did that at the bronze altar. So again, even the priests understood that they were not holy. They needed to be cleansed and forgiven just like everyone else. They had to come through the way of atonement. And it's that way for us today as pastors, teachers, preachers. We're not perfect. We need the blood of Christ. We need atonement. We need forgiveness. We've experienced that. And then we want to share that good news with you. But we all are standing in the need of the atonement of God and it comes through Jesus Christ. All of these things are images that are pointing the way to what Jesus has done for us. Then he said, uh, take the two goats, verse 7. Then he said, take the two goats, present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. What? Wait, wait, where, what is going on with that all of a sudden? So we're not, now we're not... We're not slaying animals, but there's one going to be slain and then one that we're going to cast lots and one of them is going to go free and we're calling him the scapegoat. By the way, this is where that term come for, comes from in our culture. Whenever you hear somebody being the scapegoat for something, they take the blame for something that someone else did. comes right here historically from this. Uh, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering, but the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. What in the world? We're going to come back to that. Aaron shall bring, verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He's to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. So again, you get that. 
the priest had to offer for his own sin and then for the sins of the nation. Verse 12, he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. So this is going into the tabernacle now. He's to take some coals from the altar of sacrifice, put them in a censer, then take incense from that incense altar, begin to burn that in a container. And uh, sometimes you see this like in Roman Catholic churches, you know, they'll have incense and they'll, they'll swing it. And again, that's representative of the prayers. A lot of the Roman Catholic uh, liturgy that they go through in worship really comes out of the Old Testament and some of these rituals that were done. So anyway, the high priest would do that, put that incense and uh, let's go on here in verse 13. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so he will not die. Again, if you're understanding what I just showed you and told you was in that ark and the atonement cover, this is what he's talking about. This is the place where God said, I want to give you a visual of, of where my presence is going to dwell among you. And so, again, this incense and all this smoke that came out was representative of prayer. It was preparing a way so that you could enter into the presence of God and not die. Pastor Eric mentioned last week about how the high priest had bells and pomegranates uh, woven, alternating on the robe of the uh, high priest. Also, what the high priest they would do is they would actually tie a rope around the high priest's ankle, and it would be a long rope. So that if the high priest made a mistake and didn't respect God's holiness and he was struck dead in the midst, could you imagine the other priest? I'm not going in there. <laughs> Just let him rot in there. I'm not going in there. So literally they had a rope tied to the ankle and they would listen for the bells. And if the bell stopped ringing for very long, they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and they'd pull the rope. And, like, and of course, if they felt a tug back, they'd like, okay, he's good. He's still alive. But again, they did all of these things that we don't think about or appreciate. This is how much they respected God. So we go on to verse 14. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. So this is really, this is imperative now that we get this. That covering over the law and over all of God's command that we're guilty of breaking all the time. This was a symbolic thing. God is saying, I'm providing a way a covering when you break my laws, when you commit sin, you break fellowship, I still love you and I'm providing a way that you can be forgiven, but you have to come my way. You can't just come your own way and figure out your own atonement. No, it's my way because I created you and I've created this process. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover, again, the lid of the ark. He shall then slaughter the goat and the sin offering for the people, take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. I know I'm moving through this really fast, but I'm trying to be sensitive to time. Verse 16, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same at the tent of meeting, which is among them in the model, in the midst of the uncleanness. I read it real quick, but I want, and I re want to repeat this. This is what the people hung on. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. Are you kidding? You, you mean if I killed someone, 
I can be atoned for that? Yeah. If I stole from someone, if I committed adultery, if I done something and I've caused all this pain, God, do you mean there's, there's even forgiveness for someone like me, though I can't undo what I've done and I know people are hurt? You're saying, God, you would forgive me so that I could come into your presence? Yes. This is the amazing thing about how holy and righteous God is and yet also how loving and merciful he is. But we have to come his way. We cannot come our own prideful way and say, well, I know you said that, God, but you don't really mean that, do you? So I'm just gonna do this way and we're good, right? No, it doesn't work that way. We have to come in genuine humility and trusting the way that God has provided for atonement. But when we do that, it doesn't matter what your sin is, God says, I'm covering it. All sins and offenses to God were covered, wiped away, cleansed, atoned so that people could have God dwelling in their midst. Now we're going to skip down to verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away in the wilderness In the care of someone appointed to the task, the goat will carry on it all the sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So atonement requires a high priest. I'm just gonna get to the point. We have that in Jesus. He is our high priest today, the son of God, the one person that represents God fully and humanity fully. He's the one true God man. He's the only true mediator that can be a true high priest for us. And he's so much better than the high priest back then We read this in Hebrews because they had to come once a year and offer forgiveness for sins and go through this atonement process. But Jesus, once for all time on the cross, gave his life for us. He is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. He bore the sins that we commit on his body on the cross. And here's what's important about this scapegoat because one of those goats had to be slain. So that represents a substitutionary sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for our sin, literally a pouring out God said the life is in the blood. The blood was pouring out of that animal and the blood poured out of Jesus. He gave his life for us. So he was the sacrifice. He's the high priest. But also this other goat that was brought forward had to have the sins confessed over it. This is what I want you to hear today. If you want forgiveness from God, you have to confess it. You have to admit it to him. You have to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of arguing with you. I'm sorry. I know I followed this way, and I know what everybody else says is okay. But, God, I know you say it's not okay, so I'm sorry. Forgive me. This is a sin. Forgive me. I'm confessing it to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Confession is a key point. And it doesn't mean coming to me and confessing your sin to me. It means to confess it to God. you got to be honest with God. Confess it to God and ask for forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus and on the authority of the word of God and everything that he has taught through the scriptures and through Christ and his sacrifice for you, you can receive atonement and forgiveness. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the life, the truth, not one way, a way, a light, a truth. I am the only way. I am the only light. I am the only truth. You need to make up your mind whether you believe Jesus or not. It's as simple as that. It really is. Everything comes down to that. 
Will you trust Jesus as your high priest? So they confessed the sins of the nation over the goat, and then he was led out. And this was teaching about atonement, that when we put our faith in Christ, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, and he carried them away when he went to the grave. He carried them away in death, but praise God, three days later, he did what? He rose again, he came out, and he left our sins atoned for there. That's why you can come to God today through faith in Jesus, and you can come at any time, but you have to come through the way, Jesus. And you have to put your trust in what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. And you need to ask him to forgive you, to come into your life, and if you do that, he comes in, he represents you, he's your high priest, and you can have fellowship with God, and you can be forgiven. I know because of the length of the service today, I, I, I want to I just hit the main points here. I'm not trying to rush. I really am not, but I also understand people's time limits. So I just want to go straight on now to, in the New Testament, a few passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. I'm actually going to read verse 21 first. Because to me, this is the core of everything that we're learning about what God was teaching on the Day of Atonement and about all these sacrifices and all this way of approaching him. And this is what he teaches us in Jesus as he gave his life for us on the cross. This is talking about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him Jesus who had no sin. He's innocent, perfect, sinless, son of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He became that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice. He became the scapegoat. All of our sins, everything, he bore on his head, on his shoulders, in his body. He took the punishment from a holy and righteous God because he loves us and he wants you to be spared from that consuming fire. He wants you to enjoy the warmth of the fire of God's presence, not the judgment and wrath of the fire, consuming fire of God. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Now I want to go back up to the one right before it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's simply what I'm doing today. It's what Pastor Eric does. It's what we do in ministry. We are simply ambassadors for Jesus. We've received the atonement, the forgiveness we know what God has done in our lives. We're not perfect people, but we're so grateful for what we have felt and experienced and God's moving in our life, and we want to share it with you. It's all about Jesus. And today, in just a moment, as we have our closing song, you can come to Jesus today. You can sit where you're at, but I just want to give you, sometimes there's just something about coming forward. So as we close today and as we sing that closing song, if you want to come forward just as your way of saying, thank you, Jesus, for being my high priest, if you've accepted Christ, or if you're like, you know what, this is speaking to my heart and I've got some stuff I've really struggled with and I, I know I need forgiveness, but I didn't think it was possible, I want you to know it's absolutely possible. I'm here to tell you that good news today. And you can receive the atonement today if you'll just simply... Confess your sin to God. You don't have to confess it to me. Confess it to God and ask him to forgive you and trust Christ as Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says, There's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. You see, God does everything in his proper time.
Go ahead and come on up, praise band. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. I'm going to give you just some rapid fire here. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. Christ went into heaven and represents us in the real temple, the true temple, to ever intercede for us. Verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The place of atonement is the cross, and the person of atonement is Jesus, and the way of atonement is Jesus, and through faith in him. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, or literally atonement. Some people break that word up and they call it at-one-ment. Atonement, at-one-ment. You can be at one with God once again forgiven. And this is the last verse. Would you stand? Stand with me. We all know Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those next couple of verses say the good news. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, and here it is, to be received by what? Faith. Faith is what pleases God. Believe him. Take him at his word. Trust him, and he will do it through Christ. Lord, as we sing this final song today, I ask that you would help us to just be responsive to your Holy Spirit, what you're speaking to us, and help us to choose you above all else and to trust in the atonement that you provided through Christ. For it's in his name I ask this.